It's essentially a modern-day retelling of the account of the Good Samaritan, only it doesn't have quite the happy ending, and it's actually a, a true story, sadly enough. It's actually about 10 years ago now already that a homeless man, a Guatemalan man named Hugo, was left for dead on the streets. And the thing about it is, the whole account was caught on camera. To his credit, Hugo actually sacrificed his life trying to intervene uh, for another individual who was assaulting a, a woman, and in the process, he was stabbed. And as he was laying there on the ground, what else the cameras caught are individual after individual after individual walking past him as he died. It even caught some taking a, a picture of him, some dialoguing. One individual even rolled him over and, and saw the pool of blood coming from his wound, and, and yet all of them did nothing. It wasn't until an hour later that somebody finally called the police, and by then it was too late, and Hugo, 31 years old, had already died. Experts and psychologists, they analyze the video and, and they're the ones that know human behavior. So they try to, to explain and make sense of how so many people could just waltz past this individual who was clearly dying. And yet whatever rationale, whatever reason or justification they come up with, it all falls short. And this account just leaves us showing the worst side of human nature. How often we neglect our neighbor. Isn't it interesting that this is the account that Jesus decided to tell when the individual came to test him and to even then further justify himself? It's an account that, that honestly is, is maybe one that leaves us more uncomfortable than any other of the other stories that Jesus told. It would have been easier for us to swallow had Jesus told an account of a cheating husband or a, a murderer or a habitual liar, because those are things that, while maybe we were guilty to some degree, we don't lump ourselves together or characterize ourselves with those, those kinds of sins. But, but this one leaves us unsettled because there's no loopholes, there's no escape. It shows the worst of us, and it leaves us wondering why it is that, that we struggle so much to, to love and serve our neighbor to carry out that aspect of our vocation, our calling, that applies to every one of us. And, and what's really even more confusing is this isn't an issue of, of disagreement. You don't have one camp that says, should we love and serve our neighbor? Not really. And another that says, yes, absolutely we should. And it's not even just unique within Christianity or, or, or unbelievers. It's believer and believer, unbeliever alike all agree this is really the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Love and serve my neighbor. So if we all collectively agree that, that the world would be a better place if we all carried this out, then why do we see such a lack of it in the world today? Well, it's actually really a, a simple solution. And, and as I, I share it with you, as I tell it to you, don't just hear it and nod in agreement or disagreement, but rather be a part of the solution. In fact, we care so much about this golden rule or this calling to love and serve our neighbor so much that we spend the bulk of our time monitoring how well everybody else is doing it. How many times don't you nod your head at the headlines of another Asian hate? 
crime or another black person uh, who was uh, assaulted or shot, another crime being committed against somebody else. And we kind of, we just say, what's wrong with the world today? And here we are observing that and not realizing that the first step in the solution is that realizing the world doesn't need more armchair quarterback Christians, but it needs more Christians to love and serve their neighbor, to look for the need that my neighbor has and be a part of the solution rather than spending our time monitoring how well or assessing how well or how poorly the rest of the world is doing it. So it's time to get into the game and carry out this calling to love and serve our neighbor. There is, a, of course, a, a huge obstacle that gets in the way of our loving and serving our neighbor. And the real challenge about this obstacle is that we carry it with us everywhere we go. That obstacle is our, our heart. And Scripture reveals that, and even in Proverbs, we have the question being raised that, that really identifies that our heart is the problem. In Proverbs 20, verse 9, the question is raised, who can say, I have kept my heart pure, I am clean and without sin? Of course, the, the answer to that is no one. No one can say it because ever since the fall into, the, the, fall into sin, our hearts have been hijacked by the prince of this world. And though by faith we belong to the prince of peace, Jesus, we realize there is a war constantly going on. And though our hearts belong to uh, our Savior through faith in him, nonetheless we recognize they are not trustworthy. They betray us, they commit treason, and far too often serve the prince of this world rather than the prince of peace. And so our hearts are, are sour. The very source of, of that love that we are to extend to our neighbor is, is tainted because our hearts are sour. And there's really three ways that implicate us, three ways that demonstrate how, how sour our hearts truly are. One of those, the first, is that when it comes to loving and serving our neighbors, we pre-qualify our neighbor. Now, you know what that means if you've ever applied for a credit card. In fact, credit card companies know how much we don't enjoy going through that process of pre-qualification. That's why all of the junk mail you get from credit card companies will say on the outside of the envelope, you've been pre-qualified. You don't have to go through that first step process. But as much as we might not like that when it comes to credit card companies, we do that very thing when it comes to helping and serving our neighbors. We have our biases, we have our judgment, we have our opinions on really who is the neighbor that is worthy of my assistance. So somebody may have a genuine need, but if that somebody is, is playing games with welfare or unemployment, they're not going to get my help. That, that may be a, a genuine need that a homeless person has that, that comes to you asking for something, but you've already pre-qualified that, that they're just going to use it to to serve their, their addiction or their habit. And that single mother that is struggling to, to make it on her own, while your heart may go out to her a little bit, there's that part of you that pre-qualifies and says, well, she made that choice to have that child either out of wedlock or be in the situation she's in, so she really shouldn't expect much from me. And how often is it that we find ourselves pre-qualifying, determining based on whatever 
whatever our own ramifications or qualifications might be for somebody else, we determine whether or not we're going to meet their need because we've pre-qualified them. That's one heart issue. The second heart issue is our motivation. Why is it that we would help somebody in need? Is it genuine care compassion that is born out of gratitude for how much Jesus cares for me and provides for my needs that I, I am looking for and, and excited and, and zealous to serve and love my neighbor in any way possible? So I'm looking for their needs and, and want to meet them. Or, or do I want to just feel better about myself so I can tell myself that I helped somebody? Am I really concerned? Is my motivation making sure that, that somebody else takes note of what I have done and observed that? Or is my motivation simply this is an inconvenience for me and, and so here, take this and, and let me move on? It's rare, isn't it, that the motivation to help and love and serve our neighbor is, is pure. So often it is tainted by, by other motives. And that's going to impact then the third issue of our heart. In addition to pre-qualifying those we help and our motivation, then the extent to which we are willing to help others is going to be influenced by our motivation. If it is a, a genuine motivation that cares about their needs, then I'm willing to make great sacrifices. But if not, if it's an inconvenience, for example, then I will do the bare minimum to, to take care of and address this inconvenience. If it is to be seen by others, then it'll be a one-time show and, and not genuine and from the heart. So the extent to which I help somebody else is going to be dependent on, on motivation as well, isn't it? So those, those three issues all show how tainted my heart is and your heart is when it comes to loving and serving our neighbor. And then on top of it, we kind of have this, this catch-all clause as Christians, don't we? And it goes kind of like this. When, when it doesn't serve us to serve somebody else or when it's inconvenient or when we're actually having to go the extra mile like the Samaritan did and say, hey, I'll be back later to square up the bill. When, when we can't make that kind of sacrifice and service to our neighbor, we justify it. We say, well, you know, at the end of the day, Jesus is really more concerned about people's spiritual needs than he is their physical needs. So it's not really as big a deal if I don't help this hungry person or address that homeless issue or meet this other need that somebody has because what they really need is Jesus. Okay, did you give them Jesus then in that situation? And furthermore, isn't it really kind of a, a false dichotomy there? Are, are we pitting one against the other? Did Jesus ever do that? Did he ever see somebody who was feeding a hungry individual and, and chide them and say, hey, stop giving that person food. Their starvation is not the issue. They need to know about their salvation. Tell them about me and, and don't worry about food and the physical stuff. Or on the other hand, when somebody was preaching or teaching or sharing faith with somebody, pointing them to Jesus, did he say, hey, this isn't the time for that religious talk. What they really need is a hot meal right now. No, Jesus didn't pit one against the other, so why do we? Do both. Both of them are ways for us to serve our neighbor. So let's not use this, this baloney that, that, well, Jesus only cares about spiritual needs, so somebody else will take care of their physical needs. Do both. 
And we realize how difficult this, this matter is of loving and serving our neighbor. But we, we really shouldn't be shocked that it's as big a struggle as it is. We shouldn't be shocked when we actually know what is beneath the surface. We can, we can polish up the outside and, and we're pretty good at making ourselves appear and, and look polished up and look good to other people. But if you dig below and realize this is a heart issue, you really shouldn't be that shocked because we know what's in our heart. Nobody has a, a clean heart. Nobody has a pure heart. What we should be shocked by is that Jesus came to redeem and save hearts like ours, hearts like yours and mine that have been soured and stained by this obstacle of pre-qualifying and motivation and the extent to which we're willing to help people. Be shocked by, by that. I've, I've often thought, wouldn't it be something in this, this account of the Good Samaritan if that Samaritan came and, and not only helped the man who was left for dead on the side of the road, but he actually went to the Levite and the priest, he followed them up and, and on top of their neglecting this, this left for dead guy on the side of the road, if the good Samaritan also would have offered to help them, to say to them, is there anything that I can do for you? Because until we connect the dots in this account, that's exactly what, what Jesus did for us. See, Jesus was much more than just a good Samaritan. He's the perfect Savior. And he didn't come just for the left for dead souls on the side of the road. Here's the real shocker. He came for the heartless individuals like you and me who stepped over that man and care so much about ourselves that we neglect our neighbor again and again. So while, yes, we have soured hearts, here's what is shocking, that Jesus came to wash them and to make them clean. That Jesus came to be the very solution that David begged for in the psalm. And you know the psalm well. Psalm 51, where David pleads out to the Lord, Create in me a pure heart, O God. Through Christ, God has done just that. He has replaced your, your soured, stained heart with the clean, pure heart of Jesus, who loved and served his neighbor perfectly, you pay the price for all your failures to do so. And here is the result of, of having a pure heart now that has been given to us through faith in Jesus. There's an invitation to, that the writer to the Hebrews extends to everybody, and I encourage you to take him up on it as often as we need. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22 invites us, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. That is the difference that Jesus makes in carrying out your calling to love and serve your neighbor. What by nature would leave you stained and, and soured internally, you have been sprinkled and cleaned and you have a pure heart. So what does that pure heart then seek to do? Take care of, of others. It seeks to, to befriend and, and love others. And, and here is the, the simple truth of this matter. If that message that perfect holy Jesus came for heartless you and me and changed us, gave us a new heart and refreshes us, if that doesn't inspire you and encourage you and excite you to serve your neighbor, I don't have anything else. There's not a more inspiring illustration that I can share with you than Jesus 
trading spots with you and giving you his holiness, his pureness, his righteousness to free you to carry out this calling to love and serve others. If that doesn't move you, if that doesn't change your heart and invigorate you and excite you to be who you are in your vocation of, of loving and serving your neighbor, I don't know what else will. And here's the, the especially remarkable thing that, that Jesus mercifully came to redeem and renew us. Yes, the, the Good Samaritan is impressive, but Jesus is so much more. Because Jesus came not to, to rescue those who were kind to him or treated him well, but Jesus came for his enemies. And that's what we were. But because of what he's done for us, we're now his friends. And he promises us that we will remain his friends through faith in him. And how do friends treat each other? Well, they love and, and serve each other. Jesus continues to love and serve us through word and through sacrament as he speaks to our hearts and refreshes our souls and forgives our sins. And he never tires of that work, always extending his invitation if we doubt if our hearts have been purified and sprinkled clean and made pure to remind us again and again that he paid the price, that we are his friends. And, and then he calls us as his friends to love and serve others who are his friends as well. Other souls for whom he died. Other souls that are near and dear to him. Others who may not even know that Jesus is their friend yet. So let us carry out this calling to love and serve our neighbor. And what does that look like? It's, it's not really that complicated. It doesn't have to be rescuing somebody who is, who is laying there left for dead. All it means, all it entails is, is looking for your neighbor's needs and then meeting those to the best of your ability. That is your calling. May God continue to give you the grace to carry it out through Jesus. Amen.